You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. And now a word from our sponsor, SpyCloud, the leader in operationalizing cybercrime analytics. Traditional threat intelligence is a thing of the past. Cyber criminals are stealing vast amounts of credentials, session cookies, and financial data every day, and it's hard to keep up. SpyCloud is the trusted partner businesses turn to to fully understand their darknet exposure risk and neutralize threats before it's too late. SpyCloud alerts your organization as soon as an employee or customer's data appears on the darknet, so you can act faster than bad actors to prevent cyber attacks like ransomware, session hijacking, account takeover, and online fraud. With insights from the industry's largest repository of recaptured data, protect the digital identities and systems most important to your business. Get your free corporate darknet exposure report at spycloud.com slash cyberwire and see what information criminals have in their hands today. That's spycloud.com slash cyberwire. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the CyberWire's Research Saturday. I'm Dave Bittner, and this is our weekly conversation with researchers and analysts tracking down threats and vulnerabilities, solving some of the hard problems of protecting ourselves in a rapidly evolving cyberspace. Thanks for joining us. Manufacturing in general is an interesting target for adversaries, and uh, certainly, you know, ransomware being a big one. That's Selena Larson. She's a senior cyber threat analyst at Dragos. Dragos recently released their first cyber threat perspective on the manufacturing industry, and that's the research we're discussing today. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. There is increasing interest from a variety of different adversaries targeting this sector. And so what we found is the cyber risk to the manufacturing sector is increasing. Um, you have cyber attacks that are um, impacting industrial processes, uh, intrusions that are enabling sort of information gathering, IP theft, uh, as well as new activity from ICS targeting adversaries. Can you give us a, a little bit of uh, lay of the land in terms of when we're talking about manufacturing, what's the spectrum of things that that term covers? So that's a great question, right? So manufacturing on its own is a pretty large umbrella. And um, for me, it's person uh, personally, it's very interesting because I when we think of industrial control systems and critical infrastructure, a lot of us kind of think of the lights, right? Electricity, the lights are on, <laughs> um, driving our cars, oil and gas, um, that type of thing. But manufacturing is kind of the underpinning of like all of the global supply chains and everything that we touch and interact with and, and 
you know, work with, et cetera, has been touched in some way by a manufacturing process. So that can be anything from um, food and beverage to uh, pharmaceutical to uh, the defense industrial base, for instance, right? You have a lot of different types of manufacturing under this sort of umbrella. And it's oftentimes uh, kind of difficult to be able to sort of cl- classify, um, you know, the cyber, uh, cyber risk or cyber threats to the manufacturing sector as a whole because there are uh, different sort of requirements in place um, when it comes to cybersecurity or information security in these different these sort of different subsectors. However, as a whole, you know, a lot of the processes are very similar, right? They, they very much rely on just-in-time manufacturing. They rely on uh, process automation. Um, so the databases where information is stored um, will interact with, you know, the, the enterprise side for keeping track of things like ingredients or, you know, um, supply chain management, uh, information required for FDA regulation, that type of thing. So in a lot of ways, the processes and automation in place um, in manufacturing is, is across the board very similar, despite the industries being very different. So what makes them a target? What, what are the, the things that are attractive to the folks who are out there looking to, to do them harm or, or you know, penetrate their defenses? Sure. So ransomware is definitely something that is uh, very, very heavily targeting manufacturing. Mm. We actually uh, identified that throughout 2020, the number of publicly reported ransomware attacks on manufacturing entities has more than tripled compared to last year. And I do want to point out here that's confirmed. Uh, uh, oftentimes you'll see on leak sites that there are companies that are named, um, but you know, unable to sort of confirm them. But this number is increasing. It's very interesting mm. to ransomware adversaries because they're conducting this sort of you know, big game hunting operations and have learned that uptime, especially when it comes to manufacturing, um, maintaining that sort of just-in-time processes, um, that, that automation um, is very important for uh, manufacturing companies. And even if it doesn't necessarily impact the OT or ICS side of the house, you do have disruptions to potentially um, sales, order fulfillment, um, logistics, uh, this, these kind of, of very important sort of supply chain management applications that enable and uh, sort of support the OT ICS functions. And so um, we're also seeing that ICS adversaries are adopting um, the sort of ICS aware, ICS specific mechanisms in their code where they are targeting um, industrial processes and are able to sort of um, kill or otherwise stop ICS specific processes, much like they do in more sort of IT side of the house. Hmm. So it is very interesting that we are seeing more ransomware adversaries kind of adopting this, this you know, more targeted approach to industrial control systems. And certainly manufacturing is a part of that. Now, in the report, um, you all have, uh, you're tracking five of the, the active groups who are targeting manufacturing. Who's our, uh, who's our rogues gallery here? <laughs> So, yeah, so we have five publicly reported groups, um, Crysine, Magnolium, Parasite, Wassonite, and Xenotime. Um, but Xenotime is uh, arguably, we consider them to be the most dangerous and most capable. Xenotime has targeted um, original equipment manufacturers, for instance, um, that, but they've also uh, targeted uh, electric and oil and gas companies. 
And what's unique about this group is that actually has demonstrated the ability to develop malware specifically targeting ICS processes. Um, so that's with Trisis, right? It's specifically targeted um, a safety-instrumented system and an oil and gas facility. That's concerning because, you know, when you're talking from a manufacturing perspective, you know, Stuxnet actually targeted uranium enrichment, right? Like, okay, drink, Stuxnet. But, <laughs> um, <laughs> but you know, this is, this is the, probably the most well-known and they, it targeted these sort of PLCs that were, that were controlling the centrifuges used in uranium enrichment. And so, you know, we, we do have examples of adversaries being capable of interacting with and potentially disrupting manufacturing. But what we've seen more recently is that you know, the safety instrumented system, and then crash override, which was electric focused. But, you know, we, so we haven't observed, you know, either uh, Trisys or crash override disrupting manufacturing operations, but it is possible that adversaries that are working on developing ICS specific malware might target manufacturing companies in the process of developing this malware, um, even if they're not necessarily the ultimate target. Are they showing restraint? In other words, you know, there, there's a difference between um, shutting down an assembly line and and affecting something that could possibly lead to loss of life. Is there is there any nuance there? There's certainly nuance. I would say that the activity that we are seeing when it comes to uh, manufacturing is largely focused on things like ransomware, um, IP theft. Uh, not necessarily targeting, you know, the equipment that could be, uh, you know, that is used for maintaining safe, um, reliable, healthy processes, both for people and the environment. Uh, I I don't know if it's necessarily, I, I don't want to ascribe, you know, goals or objectives um, or mm. desires mm-hmm. to adversaries, right? Um, mm-hmm. But what we've seen so far you know, based on the based on the threat data, we're seeing adversaries that are interested in um, potentially disrupting process for ransomware opportunities, but also potentially um, targeting manufacturing for data theft, reconnaissance. Uh, largely, you know, we've seen evidence of them targeting pharmaceutical companies, for instance, uh, research and development organizations that are involved in COVID uh, coronavirus vaccine. So, you know, these these are kind of the big threats, I would say, right now, currently. Um, to this sector. And to be clear too, you know, there are very serious consequences to ransomware that is able to disrupt processes. Whether or not, you know, the the safety system is going to be impacted, we're not seeing that, right? But we are seeing Hmm. people's lives disrupted in other ways. We've seen ransomware cause layoffs, um, in steel manufacturing, for instance, employees had to uh, go home for for days and sometimes weeks as a result of ransomware that disrupted operations. So, you know, they're losing their livelihoods because of this. Although we didn't specifically focus on this in our research, either in manufacturing or uh, some of my research I've been doing in ransomware, healthcare is another huge one. This is something that is impacting people in in ways that we haven't necessarily seen before, right? These adversaries coming at uh, very, very vital, critical infrastructure and causing disruptive effects. So there are, you know, a lot of consequences for this type of activity, whether it's economic, whether it's personal, um, whether it's emotional, frankly, um, mm. that, that I think oftentimes we don't really think about these sort of domino-like repercussions, whether it's, you know, Ransomware, for instance, or 
know, IP theft, these, these types of things that, that have uh, impact to the supply chain beyond just the target. Do we see organizations sort of, um, you know, firing shots across the bow of, of saying, uh, demonstrating their capabilities, saying, you know, this is, th- we could do this if we chose to. It's an awfully nice uh, factory you've got there. Be a shame if anything were to happen to it. <laughs> um, not that I have observed. Um, mm. That isn't necessarily something uh, that, that we have visibility into. Gotcha. Now, you talk about um, how so many manufacturing facilities, they're relying on you know, just-in-time processes. Um, is that by its very nature, does that, does that make them a little more fragile, that, that it's, it's easy for things to sort of cascade through the system if one, one particular system goes down? Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, and, you know, I, 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 it's kind of funny to think about, right? So a lot of times we'll think about disruption to the sort of just-in-time process or the you know process automation on a production floor, right? The, the factory floor and the, the sort of robot arm getting a little bit broken. And then, you know, the, mm. the like in that I Love Lucy clip where, you know, she's working <laughs> right, on the right, chocolate right, line the chocolate and she just sure. has to right. <laughs> shove all the chocolate into her shirt. It's like, oh no, the, right. the process is disrupted. But beyond right. that, you have, um, for instance, the trucks and the drivers that are relying on picking up and driving, you know, whatever the um, whatever it is that is being manufactured, right? So they go to the plant, they're waiting there, they have a set time that they're going to be getting, you know, they're, they're picking up the shipments of whatever the, the, you know, textile or food or whatever it is, and then they're going to be, you know, driving it to their destination that has a set time of receipt. And Mm -hmm. that destination is going to be planning their own distribution or sales or, you know, their own manufacturing based off of this timetable that the driver is operating on. But if something is disrupted in the the sort of early in that whole manufacturing line, um, if the trucks can't get their deliveries on time, then you're going to have a huge traffic jam of trucks. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And then... (laughs) So, so it's not just going to be, you know, this one individual that's impacted. It's going to be every person that is on shift that day that is going to have to, you know, have you know, disruption to their, their timetables. And then the customers down the line is going to be disrupted. So there's actually an interesting story that I like to cite. Earlier this year, there was a, um, a software provider of um, auction software for the wool industry in hmm. Australia and New Zealand. This uh, it was it was essentially a uh, a platform that was used for um, doing business for for the farmers and textile and and you know wool vendors, <laughs> and mm-hmm. um, essentially they just used a software called Talman. So uh, they Talman suffered a ransomware attack and essentially disrupted uh, wool buying and selling across the entire continent of Australia and you know throughout New Zealand as well. Um, and there was actually some local reports that said it essentially prevented 44,000 bales of wool worth up to $70 million from entering the marketplace. So this attack in February, you know, disrupted the auction process, which in turn had impacts on, you know, the farmers themselves, as well as the buyers and sellers of the wool, but also, you know, the textile mills that are going to be receiving that wool that are expecting to get it and, you know, work it into their own manufacturing, whether, you know, making sweaters or whatnot. (laughs) 
And, you know, right. and that's in different countries, whether that's China or Italy or, you know, the, the other recipients of, of Australian wool. So you have this sort of domino effect that's like, even in the IT software that supports auctioning of this product, you have this ripple effect through industrial processes that are reliant on the, you know, manufacturing and distribution and, you know, farming and agriculture that surrounds this entire industry. So one, one disruption can have these sort of huge ripple effects. Yeah, and, and I suppose, I mean, you know, wool is interesting in itself, but imagine if it's something perishable, like, you know, bananas or tomatoes or, you know, something, something that can't, has a limited amount of time that it can sit around. Well, we actually have seen that, right? We've seen ransomware impact meat. Uh, mm. <laughs> the uh, manufacturer of, of meat in New Zealand, AFCO, I believe it was. Also, that's another example of um, of a ransomware attack kind of disrupting um, the uh, manufacturing processes. And certainly, meat is something that's very perishable. Um, that's also something yeah. that, you know, people are, you know, go to the grocery store and expect to see it. And if it's not there, you know, it, it again, has a sort of human impacts. Granted, meat isn't something that's, you know, life or death, but <laughs> it, is, uh, right, it is kind right. of annoying. <laughs> Yeah, but, the, but I mean, I think that's an important point that's often overlooked, as you point out. You know, you go, if you go to your local market and there's no meat there, there's an emotional component to that where you think, okay, what's, you know, what, what's going on here? Yeah, there's that sort of frustration and it kind of, from, from the perspective of a company too, right? Like if something impacts your, your company or your brand, um, there's a mistrust or, you know, frustration with the company, right? So customers mm-hmm. will, will feel frustrated. Um, and so that's something also, too, to sort of take into consideration from an asset owner and operator perspective is that, you know, we are protecting the integrity of our manufacturing, but as well as our business and our reputation. And so, you know, when you're sort of conducting these sort of risk analysis and when we're talking about, you know, the, 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 the cyber risk to manufacturing, you kind of include all of these additional factors and the, 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 the sort of impacts to, like we kind of said earlier, impacts across the board from economics to personal uh, frustrations. So what are your recommendations? I mean, in terms of that risk analysis, in terms of, of planning for these things that, I mean, I don't know if it's fair to say they're eventualities, but, um, you know, it, <laughs> it's, we, we, the stories keep coming every day. What, what sort of things should, should organizations be doing to better protect themselves? Mm-hmm. So, so conducting crown jewel analysis is very, very important. Essentially having asset owners and operators identify what are the crown jewels in my operations environment and what are the consequences that could occur if they were compromised, disrupted, et cetera. So, you know, safety systems are very, very important. And that would might be considered a, a, a crown jewel in, in many cases. Um, a crown jewel might be, you know, a very specific pharmaceutical component or something like this, like a trade secret that you Mm. need to protect. So to kind of identify what these crown jewels are, conducting the sort of crown jewel analysis and then establishing your your security operations to uh, kind of build around that assessment. Um, Another thing that we often see in manufacturing specifically is very flat networks. You might see OT and IT being on the same network, for instance, or you know, not having jump box, um, pretty weak firewall rules, 
very, you know, sort of flat networks, um, certainly restricting um, access and, you know, conducting those architecture reviews to sort of identify the assets, connections and communications between IT and OT. And not just, you know, we're talking uh, asset identification. That's something, you know, that, that yeah, I, I think asset owners can, can do a much better job of, but we're not just talking about like, okay, this X number of, you know, HMIs, PLCs, et cetera, but what ports are open? Um, what are restricted? What are they talking to? Who are they talking to? Um, what devices and um, communications are going outbound from OT and what are going inbound? Um, our ERP software, uh, do we have, you know, is that, you know, talking to uh, the only the required assets or is that something that, you know, has additional access to different um, workstations on, in this environment? Um, who has access to the workstations or the PLCs, the controllers, et cetera? So knowing not just what's on your network, but who and what it's talking to and who and what has access to it is very, very important. And then certainly too, you know, like supply chain uh, and, and identifying the sort of third-party operators, um, identifying sort of reliance on um, the software and services that are in directly in your environment. And again, the connections to and from uh, the the type of access these uh, this this equipment or the people monitoring it has again that is is super important. So we provided a bunch of defensive recommendations in the threat perspective that we you know strongly encourage uh, folks to read because um, it is you know it is very difficult to kind of give a one size fits all answer. So we really did try yeah. to to come up with you know some that are across the board you know good advice specifically for manufacturing and to sort of lower the cyber risk to your organization. Our thanks to Selena Larson from Dragos for joining us. The research is Dragos's cyber threat perspective on the manufacturing industry. You can find more on their website. And now a message from Cyberbit. Mastering cybersecurity is like mastering a sport. You build muscle memory through rigorous practice. Then you train as a team to foster cohesion while operating under pressure. Like athletes, cybersecurity professionals thrive on hands-on simulation. But traditional courses, certifications, and open-source labs won't build you a winning team. You need Cyberbit. Cyberbit offers a hyper-realistic simulation environment for your SOC, IR, and C-suite to refine your skills, all using the market-leading SIMs, EDRs, firewalls, and WAFs they use every day. Cyberbit is offering CyberWire listeners a free live-fire exercise. Sign up your team now at cyberbit.com slash cyberwire. The CyberWire Research Saturday is proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our amazing CyberWire team is Elliot Peltzman, Peru Prakash, Stefan Vaziri, Kelsey Bond, Tim Nodar, Joe Kerrigan, Carol Terrio, Ben Yellen, Nick Vilecki, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jennifer Iben, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.